On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I'm Jess Larson. This is our Operational Excellence mini-series. We're here with part two um, of our interview with Roger Price. Well, I think part of it gets back to one of the comments you made earlier about kind of the old like assembly line mass production environment where that was exactly the intent was to break jobs down into very simple tasks, you know, take hammer, hit nail, you know, take hammer, hit nail and repeat that process for hours on end and and not to actually engage the workforce and how to make that process better. So some of it's just tied into kind of the history of manufacturing or the history of how businesses have been run. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Uh, CEO at Phase 5 Group with their online product, Eon. If you didn't listen to part one, please go back and, and hear about Eon and how you know they've done these projects and helped with continuous improvements. Big, giant companies like DuPont helping out 200 different facilities. And now they've got a software as a service product that can help people standardize this across multiple sites. Uh, how do I do for an intro there, Roger? Is that is that a good description? Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, just thanks. Well, listen, for um, for everybody who doesn't really know the magic of why Lean creates such nuts like me about it, can, can you give some examples of what got you interested in the space initially and, and just some of the biggest client successes you've seen of this uh, of, of this model? Yeah, sure. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, and I mean... Um, yeah, you know, to to your point, Jess. I mean, there's been, there's there's no shortage of of uh, of books or content that that talk about lean and and you know the the, the concept has kind of taken off you know a, a kind of taken on excuse me a life of its own. 
over the past number of years. And, and a lot of the, the concepts and methods come out of out of manufacturing, certainly, uh, though not, not all of them do. But the application uh, of lean, you know, outside of manufacturing now is, is tremendous. And obviously in the technology side, you know, agile is, you know, uh, agile software development, as an example, is, you know, really derived, some of those concepts are really derived from, from kind of lean manufacturing principles, right? But, but basically lean is, um, uh, was a term that was uh, applied to um, a lot of the work that Toyota and other Japanese companies have been doing really since the, since the fifties. Um, it's really about how to understand your operations and understand where the waste resides and how to generate a competitive advantage through waste elimination and continuous improvement from an operations perspective. Um, and, um, uh, the, it, when applied properly, uh, the, the concepts that behind lean can really um, power the business on a number of fronts. They can eliminate costs. They can drive throughput increases, so you know more productivity. Um, and you know, if done uh, through engagement of the broader workforce, you can really use lean to really improve overall employee commitment and discretionary effort as well. Um, so, you know, again, lean is really a, an umbrella term for a, a series of methods and concepts and ultimately a culture of waste identification, waste elimination and continuous improvement um, that can be applied in a variety of, of ways. Um, you know, from our perspective, um, you know, we've worked uh, with a number of companies. You mentioned DuPont. I'll just use them quickly as an example. Uh, we helped DuPont. Uh, which is which was at the time about a forty billion dollar company, two hundred and forty or so plant sites globally, very diverse business, you know, diverse business units, everything from you know growing growing corn and soybean to paints to you know uh, crop protection chemical you know chemicals for crop protection and uh, a variety of other use cases, uh, large diverse organization, um, and going to their plant sites, you could still see where they were missing opportunities to, you know, reduce cost or improve safety or, uh, you know, get more product out the door to their customers. Um, and so the, the Toyota, excuse me, the DuPont production system work was designed to systematically go, you know, from site to site, understand where the waste was, and then put together a, a plan that engaged the employee base in understanding and elim systematically eliminating that waste. And you know that that work that we did with Dupont, uh, uh, you know, when, as they undertook that work, they were generating you know hundreds of millions of dollars per year in value to the business in the form of cost savings, in the form of um, work freed up working capital, um, in the form of uh, capacity release. So making more product that they could sell, not, you know, deferring having to build new plants because they were getting more product out the door at their existing plants, you know, all sorts of ways that value is being generated uh, from that from that work. The critical thing, though, was understanding, and in every case, it's understanding what, what matters to my business operationally, what differentiates me operationally, and then what am I doing to systematically improve at that? And let me give you one other example. We have a client in the food industry, about a billion dollar company, nine plant sites in North America that we're working with and that's using our product Eon. If you know anything about food production, you know that the critical aspects of, of that space is what they call food safety. 
right? So food safety and product quality. So, you know, basically making product that smells like you expect it to and is not contaminated in any way. So it won't make people sick or anything like that. And if you have one of those issues in the food business, it's, it's, it's huge trouble. I mean, and, and there've been some stories, I won't name names, but there've been some stories out there the past couple of years of companies that lost tremendous market value or had to shut down completely because the, the food product they were making ultimately made people sick. Um, and so in that space, the consequence of failure around food safety is, is, is high. So for them, it's about quality management and continuous improvement concepts and methods to uh, food safety and product quality. And we were able to work with them to take their own internally developed quality management model that defined all of the standards about how to make their food product safely uh, and to customer specification. We, we put those into Eon, they deployed it to those nine locations and then built a really nice governance process over the top of it to make sure that all the plants were using that model to manage their, their plant operations. And they were able to uh, uh, basically reduce their, their cost of poor quality uh, by about $6 million over a 12 month period and significantly reduced the risk that the product they were making would, you know, would not meet their food safety requirements, right? That, that, you know, th that's an example of the, of the sort of value that can be generated from the application of these concepts and methods. But, you know, every business is different. If you're, uh, if you're a, a tech startup, the things that differentiate you competitively uh, are going to be different than a large food manufacturer. So you might be applying or need to apply, you know, the lean concepts to your product development engine or to your sales and marketing engine. Uh, you know, so so the application might be different, but some of the underlying concepts around waste elimination uh, and continuous improvement would apply in just about any environment. And you know, <clears throat> the six million dollars is great, but it sounds like lowering the risk. Of, uh, of, you know, having their food not uh, qualified as safe is, is equally as important to them there. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And again, the, the concept there wasn't that they weren't already doing really good work there because, you know, every every food manufacturer, you know, in, you know that I've ever worked with, worked with a bunch, you know, take that very, very seriously. But because the consequence of failure is so high, um, uh to the company and obviously to the individual consuming the product, you're, you're never going to stop trying to get better there, right? Uh, that's why the concept of continuous improvement, you know, is that's why that is the term that it is, right? It's not, it's not improvement to get to a certain level uh, and you know, you know, say job job well done and and kind of move on. It's where do we need to be operationally differentiated or where do we need to reduce reduce risk in the business operationally speaking and what are we doing and you know to to address that and do it in a way that makes everybody feel comfortable that that you know we're we're getting better um you know that that mindset is really what we're talking about when we talk about lean and then underneath that there's a whole series of tools like some of which we talked about in part one like 5s or visual management or structured problem solving or standard work that's all kind of tools that sit underneath the larger mindset of can we find ways 
Do we know what matters to the business? Are we getting better at the things that really matter to the business systematically? And then the tools, you know, the tools come into play, you know, as you address those things. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, <clears throat> when you think about um, the progression, I mean, as you said, I mean, we've been talking about Shingo and the Shingo Institute. You know, Mr. Shingo started consulting to Toyota back in like 1955, right? And uh, and helped with some of those aspects of the Toyota production system. As we're about to hit 2020 here, not too long. Um, can you talk about where you see the future of this work, which obviously has, you know, the methodology has evolved, but in some ways stood the test of time. You guys are, are bringing it into the 21st century a little bit with this software as a service product. What else do you see as the future of, of operational excellence, continuous improvement? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, what, what we have seen, uh, you know, what, what I have personally seen over my years working in this space, and I think what continues to be a, fr a frustration point or a pain point for uh, a lot of organizations and a lot of people for whom, you know, continuous improvement or operational excellence is it's their job. You know, they're either a CI leader, like a head, you know, VP of OpEx or VP of Lean Six Sigma, or maybe they're a practitioner, uh, or maybe they're just a business leader somewhere in the, you know, somewhere in the business that, you know, believes in the concepts. You know, there, there continue to be, there continues to be a struggle, uh, to get over what we call the adoption hump. And what we mean by that is continuous improvement or OPEX not being seen as a program that will be implemented and, you know, at any point could go away if the business, you know, struggles or if it doesn't meet some set of objectives. Therefore, there's always this sort of like, you know, sort of Damocles, so to speak, hanging over the head of the function, um, you know, generate results uh, or, or else, you know, um, you know, how do you know, so, so there's been this constant battle to get over the adoption hump and make, uh, I think, a focus on OPEX, a, 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 core, uh, a, a core aspect of the business in the same way that you'd always have a focus on, you know, sales and, and uh, growth or a focus on um, talent management. You know, that, you know, regardless of the business conditions, you're always going to have certain aspects of the business that you're going to focus on because if without them, you can't, you can't survive. Um, and I think OPEX needs to get there. Um, and, you know, our view on that is uh, goes back to a little bit of something I said in part one, but I think it's probably worth reiterating is that um, if if the approach to OPEX is tools led, we're going to go do this thing called 5S or we're going to go teach employees how to do 5Y problem solving or we're going to go put visual boards up and track a bunch of metrics and it, it's, you know, let's go get the tool out there if it's tools driven uh, or if it's just about going and finding a bunch of money right away, um, then, you know, you're never going to get over the adoption hump. You're always you're always going to struggle with uh, sustainability and you're always going to be fighting the risk of regression. Um, so for companies to get over the adoption hump, they just need to be more strategic in how they introduce CI into the organization. Um uh, you, and, and they need to be more principles 
focused and willing to allow a slightly longer germination period on the results, but it'll pay itself forward. You know, it'll pay, it'll, it'll, it'll be worth it, uh, down the road because, you know, you won't have regression, you know, you'll have the sustainability. Um, and then, you know, at some point, you know, take Toyota as an example, like Toyota, you know, is synonymous with lean. It's a part of the culture. It's not something that could ever be ripped out of the DNA of the organization uh, because it's in the DNA of the organization. And I think, you know, the future for OpEx is strategic management in order to get over the adoption hump uh, and get to a place where people aren't questioning the value that it brings to the organization. They're simply looking for ways to, you know, improve the way they implement. Um, we obviously think that, you know, some of the tools we provide help in that regard. Um, uh, but there's obviously more to it than that as well. So I actually think this is a good place to pause for just a minute to tell you about one of our show sponsors. I was actually pretty excited when Skillshare reached out. You know, a lot of our listeners know I'm a real learning nerd, really into the audiobooks and things like this. And these guys have a ton of great classes. Um, there's like 16,000 classes on their website, but you only pay one monthly price you don't have to pay per class like a number of the services out there so it's unlimited access with a low monthly price kind of thing but the the breadth of the classes and the quality of them i'm actually really impressed with i was on there for just a few minutes and i had like a dozen classes i've i've saved to take their stuff on social media marketing mobile photography logo design just all sorts of things for growing a business or creative things um and what's nice is they're letting me give away a free month. Um, if you go to Skillshare.com slash leader, uh, you can get a free month. Um, the class that I would recommend for sure right off the bat, though, is from Seth Godin. I'm a big Seth Godin fan, read all his books. A lot of my friends are, too. But he's got a class on there called The Modern Marketing Workshop that I, I really could not recommend enough. It's, I actually think it's better than a number of his books because it's super broken down specific how-tos answer this question for yourself make a plan write it down um, it's not as much general uh, marketing advice it's like specific you need to do stuff different if you watch this anyways skillshare.com slash leader get a free month there's tons of stuff on there worth checking out but but uh, my personal recommendation the modern marketing workshop by seth godin is the one that uh, i think you should at least check out anyways let's get back in the interview well we're going to take a bit of a right turn for a minute, and then I want to come back to this. Um, we've got a standard question we, we like to ask all our guests. Um, it's about the charity we started, Child Rescue, that's trying to prevent child trafficking. And um, if you were our marketing consultant um, and you were trying to help us think of ways to get more people involved in protecting kids, uh, what, what comes to mind for you? What's, what's something that would be an idea you'd give us? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, with a topic like, you know, an issue like child trafficking, you know, um, you know, I think the more folks can personally connect to the issue, uh, you know, the more likely that they're going to be to want to do something about it. Right. So how do you drive a personal connection um, how do you make something like that feel real? I think to a lot of us, you know, I'll, I'll speak for me, not for others. Um, but, you know, we live in, you know, I live in, in the United States. 
uh, so we're you know we're in a de- you know, developed country. We, we I think we there's a there's kind of an implicit assumption that you know child trafficking doesn't happen here; it happens somewhere else, and and therefore I can sort of emotionally disconnect myself from it. Um, but right, if you can sort of personalize the challenge a bit more, I think folks will connect with the issue and want to do something about it. I mean, I know in my own experience, my wife and I, um, you know, got involved in fostering. Uh, here in, in Montgomery County, Maryland, where we live. Um, one of the reasons why we got involved and became foster parents uh, was because uh, a, another member of our church and his wife got involved in fostering and we got to know their personal circumstance as well as the children that they were, uh, some of the children that they were fostering. And it really kind of connected first with my wife and then with me that, hey, there's a real need you know, in our community, you know, for, for that. Uh, and that, that personal connection then led us to go ahead and take the steps to get certified and, and ultimately do that. And so I think, again, the application to your circumstance, I think, you know, might be somewhat similar in that if you can create a personal connection in people's minds and hearts, I think they're more likely to, you know, want to take steps to address it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, tying it back into what we were what this whole episode's been about and thinking about continuous improvement and, and the ways you guys are, are progressing the field by with the technology you've added. It does make me think, um, you know, you were talking about the the lean principle of 5S and this this standardization and, and, you know, cleaning up things so that we aren't wasting motion trying to find stuff to get our jobs done. Um, and you said, at least this is what I got from it. Um, and I, you didn't say it like this, so correct me if, if I'm interpreting you wrong, but it was almost the like, hey, listen, if you show up and you tell everybody you got to do this because I said you got to do this, you're going to get resistance. But if you can get that emotional tie to how this makes their life better, how this matters to something they care about as far as getting their work done, all of a sudden the program is for them instead of for us in management. And uh, I don't know, the, the parallel I'm seeing here is, you know, if we can get people to be having their own personal connection to why helping these kids it is a personal experience for them rather than a you should that we're likely to get higher adoption. Is that, is that a fair comparison? Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I think the personal connection, you know, relating to the challenge, you know, relating to the issue and feeling like it's, you know, it's uh, it's something that's local or it's something that, you know, could affect someone I know and love or, you know, any anything that sort of makes people sort of personally resonate with the topic, I think, is going to is going to help drive action for sure. That's great. Well, uh, thanks for going on the detour with us. Um, I think before we end here, maybe let's take one more principle. Let's talk about something like standard work. For people who aren't familiar with that term, maybe we'll get you to give us a, an explanation again and then how technology can help it. And let's give a context like, uh, for instance, one of our clients. They're a big building supply company, and so they've got a couple different factory locations out west here that uh, they they got you know a two-day introduction to this world and then kind of you know, we're blessed. Hey, you guys are continuous improvement and haven't really had that, you know, those meaningful repetitions and haven't had the follow-up. So, you know, probably relatively safe to assume that different plants uh, are not getting standard work done exactly the same way because they kind of feel like lean was done to them instead of with them. Can you talk about, again, brief, brief intro to what standard work is and why technology can help it? Sure. 
Yeah, standard work as a concept is fairly simple. I mean, sort of resident in the title. And, and the idea is that, you know, folks in similar job roles should be doing their job in a highly consistent way. Um, uh, and that consistent way should be the best way that the job should be done. Right. So the, so the analogy I sometimes use is take Olympic swimming. There's a variety of different swim strokes. Um, and the free, you know, freestyle swimming is actually, I don't know if a lot of folks know this, but like freestyle swimming is you can actually swim any stroke you want, but every single Olympian that, that participates or competes in a, in a freestyle event swims the same way, right? It's the arm over arm motion, right? They don't, they don't choose to do breaststroke or they don't choose to do the butterfly or they don't choose to do any other motion that they just made up on their own. They do, they do the same motion that we all know and learn as kids because it's the fastest way to get up and down the pool, right? So freestyle allows you to do whatever you want, but everybody does it the same way. Uh, and the same concept applies in, in our work environment as well. Um, you know, that, that standard work is about at different levels of the business, um, identifying what are the standard tasks and routines and activities that need to happen to keep the operation moving the right way and to create more predictable and consistent outcomes. And then, and then how do you do that? You know, in, in a manufacturing context, it's, you know, you've got four machine operators cause you're a four shift operation, you know, so four different people who are running that machine for, for their shifts, you know, um, how do you make sure all four of those shift operators, you know, kind of manage and run the machine the same way? Because if they're doing it in a wildly different way, you will get wildly different results from that work. And the same thing applies at a leadership level as well. Um, the ratio of standard work to discretionary work changes as you move up the organization. But fundamentally, there should be a level of standardization in how, you know, managers and supervisors do their job as well. Um, so that's the, the, the concept behind it. You know, technologically speaking, um, Eon doesn't do this, but obviously uh, there are tools that you can use that, uh, you know, to create standard operating procedures uh, and standardize on those and then make, you know, train on those standard operating procedures uh, and then make those standard operating procedures available and visible such that folks can refer to them and use them to do their job better. So there's some standardization that can be done procedurally speaking, training that can be provided on the value of standard work uh, and how it's not about making you a robot, it's about making you more efficient at your job so that you can continuously improve. Um, you know, what Eon would do there is we would we would provide the ability for companies to define their expectations for standard work in the product uh, and then deploy those expectations to all of their locations and then manage the implementation of standard work. So have you developed all the right standard operating procedures? Have you trained employees on the concepts of standard work? Are you auditing or observing standard work taking place in the operation? Are you taking steps if standard work does not exist to address those? Kind of the managing process of how to implement standard work would be managed through, through, uh, through Eon. Uh, but the underlying concept can apply in any environment. It's about standardizing on the best way to do critical job tasks uh, so that you're getting predictable outcomes and more efficient operations. Well, you know, I want to I want to talk just before we end here. I know we're running out of time, but before we end here, I want to double down on this concept that you talked about. It's it's not about becoming a robot. 
um, I feel like what you're saying was it's, it's kind of the idea of learning from the best and adopting, you know, the rest of us recognizing, Hey, so-and-so figured out a, a way to swim faster. Why don't we all learn from someone who's made some progress? Yeah. Um, why do you think that people get confused about that? Why do you think when they hear about some of this stuff that it, if, if there's not enough understanding that it, at first it could feel like, you know, you're trying to take away my individuality? Yeah. Well, I think part of it gets back to one of the comments you made earlier about kind of the old like assembly line mass production environment where that was exactly the intent was to break jobs down into very simple tasks you know, take hammer, hit nail, you know, take hammer, hit nail and repeat that process for hours on end and and not to actually engage the workforce and how to make that process better. So some of it's just tied into kind of the history of manufacturing or the history of how businesses have been run uh, in the United States and potentially elsewhere as well, but certainly in the United States. Right. So there's a there's a historical mindset that you're fighting there as well. The other part of it, though, is that a lot of times people's people's perception of their value to the organization is tied into what they know that nobody else does. Right. So my perception of value is, you know, I, I perceive myself to have value to my company potentially, because if we have this problem, I know I'm the only one who can fix it. Therefore, I am now irreplaceable. Right. At some fundamental level, there is a sense of that. Right. And then when you start introducing a concept like standard work in which what we're saying is we want to take that tacit knowledge that you have, you know, that's not documented anywhere, but but, you know, the best way to do some of these things and other people don't. And we want to leverage that knowledge to make the rest, you know, everybody else better at their job. And by the way, they know some things about their job that maybe you don't and you can learn from them and we can all get better together. You have to, you have to, the, the, the underlying belief is, well, you're made, you know, now I'm being made replaceable. Um, and so, you know, if that's not messaged properly and if folks don't understand that, no, we're, that's not the objective here. The objective here is to make everybody more efficient because, because we don't want you fighting fires when something breaks down. We want to leverage your knowledge and capability to look at this standard process and show us how we can make it even better. So we're gonna leverage your knowledge and your capability in a different way, not to fight fires, not to be reactive to problems, but to get better. To use a swimming analogy, you know, at once you standardize on, this is the way I'm gonna freestyle swim, then the focus of the swimmer is, how do I get out of the blocks faster? How do I make my turns faster? How do I get more efficient in the water? How do I draft better off of the person next to me in the water? Right. They're still working to always get better times. It's not like standardizing on the stroke has eliminated the need to improve. It's provide the it's provided the basis by which they can decide what needs to improve. But if that if that's not messaged properly, then you're going to get pushback. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I, I like what you're saying. I feel like um, I feel like somebody who's done that. Well, we had Gary Peterson on from OC Tanner. You know, those guys won the Shingo Prize and have been living it for a while. And I feel like they've done a great job at having that place feel like um, we're like we are actually on a team trying to win together as a team rather than it's about my career versus your career. And um, and just the other things they've done in the business of taking care of people. I mean, I can just imagine if they got so efficient that they eliminated somebody's job, that that person doesn't get fired in that company. That person gets reallocated to something else. You know what I mean? So it's not a it's not a safety thing for my personal career because 
I have the confidence that this is the kind of organization that treats me like family member, you know, and uh, that's where it feels like the most, you know, everybody's willing to bring that discretionary effort when they know that it's not just going to benefit the boss. It's going to benefit me too. Right. Totally agree. And I mean, you know, companies we've worked with that have done that well have done what you said. Either we reallocate the resources or, you know, we we figure out how to manage with fewer headcount through kind of natural attrition as opposed to somebody walks in one day and they no longer have a job. Right. Um, so there are ways to address that if the efficiencies get to a point where those things those things come into play, but then there's also the larger, there's a larger point, and this gets to the change management aspects of continuous improvement is that, you know, we sometimes don't give the workforce enough credit for understanding the broader dynamics at play in the economy or in, you know, in, in the industry, right? So, so getting more efficient is, and getting and improving the way we operate is fundamental to the survival of a lot of businesses. Right. So so it's not about one headcount here or there or even a handful of headcount here or there. It's about if we're not continuously raising the bar on performance, we run the risk that somebody else who is raising the bar on performance, some other company, some other competitor will just simply outcompete us. And then we're, ta- we're it's a totally different conversation about the, the survival of the business. Um, and and I think, you know, again, part of introducing CI into the organization is to is to open up employees ideas to and minds to you know the importance of this not just for them of course that has to be addressed but hey this organization needs to continue to improve because no one else is standing still either um, and and they can you know and the workforce can understand that and they can that you know that that can drive some urgency to you know to to improve love it well, listen, appreciate all the time you spent with us today. Again, um, if people want to connect with you or come see more about your product, um, you want to give your website again? Sure. It's uh, www.phase5group.com, P-H-A-S-E, the number five, group.com. And you know, please visit. We've got lots of great resources there and obviously would love to connect directly with anybody who's interested. Yeah, so I think everybody who's listened will recognize uh you know what you're talking about and, and Roger does their, their big content marketers too. So I would recommend uh, going through their site and seeing all the other things they can do. If, if this is the kind of world that you're interested in looking at further. Um, thanks again for making time, Roger. Thank you, Jess. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest and if you're interested we'd love to have you learn more about the charity child rescue go to the menu page on iCollective and click on child rescue thanks so much hi it's jamie progressive number one number two employee leave a message at the hey jamie it's me jamie this is your daily pep talk I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.